Welcome to Stuck in the Cry Room. We all know the cry room too well at church, the place we don't want to go. But feel we have to because of our situation. As Catholic families, many parts of our life can feel like a virtual cry room. We're stuck and don't know how to get out. Host Joe Holt and John Cox will discuss these current challenges affecting today's families. And provide practical solutions so you are no longer stuck in the cry room. Well, hello, everyone. Hey, everybody. Um, Welcome to Stuck in the Cry Room. Stuck during Lent. During Lent. What a better time. Like This is like the ideal time to really talk about yeah. the cry room of our life as parents and how we feel like we're in a fishbowl. So let me ask you this. What's wrong? the difference between crying and whining? Oh, no one's ever asked me that question before. <laughs> crying and whining. <laughs> I mean, obviously, one is more, you know, physical, right? Okay. Like more um, actionable, like okay. uh, like crying, you know, whining is just like a feeling maybe. I guess because I'm, I'm good at the whining what? part. You're I'm, good at the whining. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've never, you were asking I, me a really deep uh, question. I think, I, I think, well, I think whining is when there's a sense of ingratitude or crying is, is you're not crying for yourself. You're I, crying for. I don't know. You could be crying for yourself. I mean, there's plenty of times as a parent, I have cried for myself in my situation. <laughs> Touche. I, I think you start yeah. with the whining and then it just progresses into a crying, right? So maybe, maybe the breakdown. whining is like the first stage and then like crying you just break down. is the second one. And then the third stage after that is just... A nervous breakdown? A breakdown. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, John and I, we were just talking about how Lent, well, not only Lent, but how today is a very special day because it is the 52nd episode of our podcast. We've had 52 episodes. We did this for a whole year, a whole season. So this, this episode closes out our season, season one. And then uh, when we come back on the air, you know, in two weeks, then it's going to be season two. And mm-hmm. then our podcast is going to be released every other week. So yes. we're going to do twice a month. It gives you guys a little bit of break. Um, I know sometimes it can be difficult to keep up with these podcasts. I assume you're listening to more than one, not just ours, but uh, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you can have a little bit of a break. More, more uh, t- targeted. More targeted. More targeted. More targeted, more specific. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to run out of issues that parents are going through. So th- these like, topics that we've been discussing there's plenty more Mm -hmm. you know where that's coming from so why don't we go ahead and begin with a prayer and then we can have our conversation today because our conversation today um, is about sacrifice not only appropriate within lent but also talking about that in relation to parenting and how we take shortcuts and our shortcuts don't end well. So, no. <laughs> all right. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of parenting. We thank you for the ability to raise our children up in your ways, to introduce you to our children, and to grow closer to you. Despite all the sacrifices that we are making, we know that these sacrifices have us depending more greater on you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. All righty. So we have begun Lent. Yes. You know what I think is really funny is every Lent I have to remind my children who are teenagers that we do not eat meat on Ash Wednesday, <laughs> Friday, that we fast on Ash Wednesday, as well as Good Friday. And I have to do this every single year. And even, you know, on Friday mornings, I will have to text the entire group chat of our family and say, remember, no meat today, because it's just not, I guess it's just not a priority for them to think about it as much as it is for us. But Mm -hmm. I'm trying to hold true Mm -hmm. on making sure that our kids are following through with that. Do your kids, do they remember this? Yeah. I mean, we've been on and off and tried to abstain from meat every Friday during the whole year. Good for you. And since we're doing Exodus 90 now, and Mandy's doing Fiat 90, um, it's more, much more intentional, which means now, now we're going into Lent. It's not a big deal. It's just like any other Friday. So how do you make Lent special then and different? I guess that's a thought of mine. Because if, if you're doing it year-round, I imagine there has to be something like the next level. Of that? I don't know. Uh, just Fridays? like the, that you kind of turn up like the next level of like sacrifice or, you know, during Lent in addition to what you've already been doing. Oh, well, we've been doing, we're doing Exodus 90 and Fiat 90. So our kids are suffering the repercussions of that. <laughs> so as Colette, my youngest daughter, Colette was like, I feel like we're doing Exodus 90 with you guys. <laughs> Do you turn off the hot water so they have to take cold showers? It's not a bad idea. At least our water bill would go way down. <laughs> that would be bad. No, it would not be bad. <laughs> well, you know, all joking aside, I've really been following a lot of this polar vortex that's come into the country mm-hmm. and how so many people are being impacted. And yeah. I've got friends in the South and in Texas who uh, have seen bursting pipes, mm-hmm. water just flooding into their house. Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, you know, not only. And then I think there's there's a great thing, though, that's coming out of it. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, mm-hmm. and she was talking about how half of their city is without power. Okay, half the city. So half the city is having to depend upon like a wood fireplace mm-hmm. or so, or some other methods of staying warm. And so what they're choosing to do is choosing to identify those friends that have electricity, that have their heat, and then they're bringing families in together mm-hmm. into like to live in community in like one house. Yeah. And I think that's so beautiful. And we talk about, you know, how civilization has these cycles Mm -hmm. and we talk about that with even in the church. And I think it's just so beautiful that this is even in, in the pandemic with restrictions that people are choosing to kind of put those things aside just to be able to serve and to help other people. Yes. And and there's an element of sacrifice. Obviously, if you've got like your one, a three bedroom house and you're bringing a couple of families to kind of live in your house just to stay warm for a couple of days, that's a sacrifice on your family, yeah. right? No, it's, yeah. And hopefully you're not your health. Yeah. No, my in-laws stayed with their, my, my parent-in-laws stayed with their kids, you know, during this time, oh. they, all the pipes were frozen, um, trying to avoid COVID. My father-in-law just got over chemo treatment. He's in his late seventies. Mm. 
And so they've been avoiding everyone for a year and now they're stuck having to go to the yeah. their in-laws. So, although I don't think they'd get COVID or anything, but it, you know, it kind of forces you though. You, you have everything shut down. What else are you going to do? So, um, I just, you know, there's a lack of water. So I, I'm, it's just, yeah, it's hard. Like me and his parents are all down there. So, yeah. And I think as we depend upon other people in times like that, and we kind of look at this podcast mm-hmm. possibly mm-hmm. has been that has been a crutch for some people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think there's many topics that we've talked about that I'm sure a listener has said, okay, I thought I was the only one that was going through that. Yeah. It's so comforting to know I'm not the only one and actually I'm normal. Yeah. You know, and we talked about that in the book study that we just finished. Yeah. Right. Well, like, actually that's what we talked about. We're not normal, which, yeah, exactly. which is good. Maybe I have to use the proper use of that. This, word. this is the hard part with language and everything is just the word normal doesn't mean okay anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's abnormal in comparison to the culture. Right. But it's it's normal in in, in a sense that you're not alone. Right. And that other people are kind of going through that. Yeah. And as we're starting Lent here, you know, we've got these forty days of mm-hmm. Lent. Yeah. And um, you know, granted with this podcast it's Lent has been going on for a couple of days. <clears throat> but you know, what what does that mean for, for parents and, and how do we kind of you know, relate the two of them together as we're going through the struggle. And I thought you brought up a really great uh, point, yeah. you know, in our pre-show when you're talking about Fulton Sheen. Yes. No. And in, in his book, The Life of Christ, he talks about how the temptations of Jesus are the three shortcuts from the cross. Okay. And it's one of my favorite chapters in the book. So, um, so share a little bit more about that, about those three shortcuts, the three shortcuts of the cross. Uh, well, yeah. And plus usually the first Sunday of Lent, they talk about Jesus being tempted in a desert as well. But basically that's his point is, is when Jesus, when God became man and Jesus came here to save us from sin, um, the three temptations that the devil was offering Jesus is three ways to save humanity without the cross which wasn't a true salvation. It was, it was a phony salvation. Um, you know, we know the first temptation was the devil tempted Jesus to turn bread, uh, the stone into bread. Mm-hmm. And then Fulton, she makes mm. the connection with later on, Jesus is attempted again to feed the people after he feeds the 5,000. So he feeds the 5,000. He doesn't feed himself. And then they come back and they say, we want the bread. And of course he says, no, it doesn't work that way. And then he goes and we see this in John chapter six, he goes into the Eucharist. So we see this temptation of the people settling for just their bare necessities, using Jesus as a means to an end to fulfill their just bodily needs. And Jesus comes and says, nope. Nope, I, I didn't come here to just satisfy your bodily needs. I came here to save your souls. So the temptation, the shortcut <laughs> that the devil was tempting Jesus by turning the stone into bread was say, hey, if you just feed their stomachs, if you just feed their bodily needs, they'll all love you and you can save them that way. And Jesus, is, you know, of course, responds to Satan, man should not live on bread alone. But every word that comes from the, every word that comes from the mouth of God, basically saying, man is much more than just bodily needs. So that was the first temptation and the first shortcut that Jesus was tempted. Um, and of course he avoids that later on by saying, no, I'm not going to continue to multiply bread and loaves. I'll do it when it's necessary, but not right. all the time. That's He's not a social worker. 
Um, the second temptation depends which gospel you're reading. So we'll just go with the second temptation is um, him throwing himself off the temple, right? Right. So he's, you know, the devil says, hey, if you throw yourself off the temple and you work some cool miracle, then what will happen is everyone will see you and they'll believe you that you're God. So you don't have to, again, you don't have to have the cross. So if you take stone into bread and feed everyone's stomachs, you don't have to worry about dying on the cross. Here, if you're on the temple and you throw yourself off and you work a supernatural miracle and show that you're divine, you don't have to go hit the, you don't have to die on the cross because they all believe that you're God and they'll fall and worship you. Um, so that's the temptation. Now, of course, we see later on, Jesus avoids that temptation. We see that in the desert because that temptation comes back to him later on when he's on the cross. What do the people say? If you are the son of God, if you are God, come down from right. that cross. Right. So now we see the people tempting Jesus now to come down and work a miracle, come down from the cross. And they would believe. But that's not how it works. And so Jesus obviously avoids that temptation and dies on the cross for our sins. Um, so that's another temptation. Again, another shortcut. If he does a miracle for himself, and that's the thing you see in scripture, he never does a miracle for himself. It's always for someone else. Mm -hmm. So that's the temptation. And that's mm -hmm. the shortcut is doing something for himself, even if it's a good intention. Um, and then the last temptation is obviously we have the devil saying, you can have all the kingdoms of the world if you just bow down to me. So if, if Jesus bows to the devil and serves the devil, so to speak, on, I don't know what word I want to use, then it, then he can be in charge and control of all the nations. So that's that's what happens later on. What happens later on, we see in Scripture, Jesus faces the same temptation later on, the fact that the people want to make him a king. And he's like, no, I didn't come here to be a worldly or earthly king, but that's the temptation. So that's what's very interesting. You see these three temptations Jesus has. Right. You see those temptations coming back in public ministry, and all of them are basically to, are there to distract him from the cross, the shortcuts from the cross. Because if they make him a king, an earthly king, then he doesn't have to die on the cross. So I think all that's really great, right. and, and especially in the context of what we're talking about here. Right. So now let's make the jump of the parallel of the between the yeah. shortcuts yeah. With, with Christ well, and us as parents. Yeah, well, that's the whole point is right. that if Jesus did not die on the cross, if he, went, if he gave in to those temptations, he never would have died for our sins, and we never would have received salvation. That being said, there are no shortcuts in growing in holiness. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one of the struggles we have in the Catholic church is that we try to make everything super practical and holiness is not practical. The mass is not meant to be practical. It's meant to be transcendent. Mm -hmm. Our lives Lent mm -hmm. is not meant to be practical. Lent is meant to be transcendent. Mm -hmm. Parenting is not meant to be <laughs> definitely not, <laughs> not meant to be practical, but it's, but oh. it's to lead us to holiness. And I, this is what, this is what Manny reminds me of all the time, because I am constantly as a parent wanting to take the shortcuts. Right. I don't want to have those hard conversations with the kids. Right. I want them to just say, well, God, you do it and you figure it out and let God's grace work it through. I don't want it to, I don't want to go down on the cross as a parent. <laughs> 
I mean, how many times have you wanted to just hit the easy button as a parent? No, I I always that's the problem. Not even want. I do hit the easy button. If it wasn't for, if it wasn't for Mandy, I'd be hitting the easy button all the time because just how I grew up. I think very pragmatically, just how I grew up. So, and this is how society thinks nowadays. We don't think what is the holy thing to do. We think what is the pragmatic or practical thing to do. Even in Lent. Well, Lent, I got to be practical. I don't want to fast too much ooh, because I might become super holy or something. Ooh, I got to be practical about my eating habits. And I don't want to sacrifice too much during Lent because I might grow cranky. Here's a solution. Sacrifice more than you can imagine and don't be cranky at the same time. Yeah. Now, that's a hard, tall order. I'm, I'm not doing it. But at least I don't lower the bar or the expectation. Yeah. There are so many different ways as a parent that we attempt to take the shortcuts. And yeah. um, I, I think since you already brought it up, let's yeah. just call that one out. And that's mass. I mean, how many times is a parent that you just choose not to bring your kids to mass because it's too inconvenient to, you know, watch your, your toddler or to try to keep them quiet or, you know, to not go into the cry room, you know, hence this whole entire podcast, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. you know, or the the music, I don't like the music or I don't like the homilist. I don't like I don't like any of those things. It's just, it's too difficult. It's too hard. We're not going to get anything out of it. So why go? And so we're just going to choose not to go. Because it's not about you. It it was great. Uh, My niece, Cecilia, got married a couple weeks ago. And uh, a priest, the priest who did the homily there, a wonderful priest, he he was talking about how he's reading an article and it says, marriage isn't for you. And that's how he started the homily. And of course, you're like, wait, what's going on? And the, the 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 point of the story, the point of the article, and the point of his homily is like it's not for you; it's for your spouse. Yeah, it's for the other person. Mass, raising children, it's not about you. Right. You don't go to mass for yourself. Well, God doesn't need it. Well, yeah, you do go for yourself, and you don't. You go because God made you to be with Him in heaven. That's that's why we go to mass, and mass reminds us of that. Um. Parenting is not for us. God, you know, it's not meant to satisfy us. It's meant to give of ourselves for our children, for our spouse. It's for their souls. It's for us. Mm-hmm. It's for our, basically, it's our cross that we're called to do. And we have to be crucified. If we're not willing to die, then we're not ever going to be good parents. And this is the hard part with parenting nowadays, is the fact we are bombarded with, here's how you take shortcuts as parents. If you just do, if you give them a good education, they're going to go to college and they'll be successful. So just put all your time and energy into their education, but don't worry about any of the other stuff. Um, I tell you what, I feel sports, put your time into sports, right? And that way you don't have to have those hard conversations because you're just playing sports all the time. In other words, as, as, as I, as I notice as our kids becoming teenagers and stuff is that we keep so busy because we don't want to deal with the hard things. So we keep them active in sports and athletics or um, whatever stuff they're going to or this or that meeting or that. We keep so busy as parents. We keep our kids so busy because then we don't have to sit down and actually have the hard conversations. Um, it, it helps us avoid the cross. I think for some people that's the case, but I don't think for everyone that's the situation. I mean, like, I don't think that I put my kids into sports. So I don't have to deal with these difficult conversations no, not, not I, when I say that, bit, I don't mean, I don't think it's intentional. I don't mean like, oh, I'm going to, we're going to play sports. So I have to deal. No one <laughs> thinks that that's not what I'm saying at all. But I just, as, as you know, we talk and stuff about all this that we talked about in this whole last year, that's kind of what happens. We keep ourselves so busy 
because when we're busy, then we don't have to actually deal with the issues. You know, as I'm doing Exodus 90, um, what happens now that I have given all those things up that I've been kind of medicating myself with. And now I see my eyes are open. I'm like, Oh, I got to deal with this situation. I got to deal with that problem. I got to, yeah, I really should have been dealing with this earlier. Like if it makes me confront those things. Um, and this is one of the things I'm praying about for, I pray for people now for Lent. Like I pray that we have the gift of time during this Lent, mm. that God gives people the gift of time and that we learn to use our time wisely. I think there's many times that I have felt like Peter, uh, you know, um, at Herod's palace, you know, where he, there was, um, you know, he was denying Christ. Um, and, and, you know, like when you think about that situation, if you just allow yourself to kind of go to that place mm-hmm. and read that scripture passage and think about what is happening in the crowd and how the crowd is like forcing against you and trying to like tell you, you know, trying to convince you as well as everybody else, you know, um, to act differently according to your faith. And I, I just, I, as a parent, I constantly feel pressure to conform to society. I well, constantly, that's the practical side. Right, exactly. So like the shortcut is just to cave and to give in yep. and just to say like, okay, well, fine. I can't deal with this. The pressure is just too much. I can't fight this battle. I'm just going to wave the white flag and surrender. And, you know, maybe next time. Yeah. And, and so like, that's definitely one of them. And we've talked about them in just the past couple of weeks, a lot of different examples of mm-hmm. as a parent, when we've been in a situation that we've, um, just kind of given up or we've seen other parents give up or do I buy alcohol for my kids? And because I don't want to deal with the lessons. I wait, just wait, want to you, be, no, you don't not, buy alcohol for your kids. No, no, no I don't <laughs> buy alcohol for parties at my house. That doesn't happen. Okay. Um, but no, I mean, but I talked about examples of other parents yeah. who are doing that. Yeah. And why do they do that? Yeah. You know why? Because they want to appease and because they're believing the, the lie that, you know, they will be a better parent if they do these things, yeah. you know, that their kids will, um, you know, appreciate them better and will respect them more if they do these things. But it, your parenting is not about the respect. It's not about, you know, trying to get the respect of your kids. If that happens, great. Right. But that's not the intent and that's not the purpose of it. And so um, I think there's a lot of different situations that we could kind of bring into this conversation right. a- about shortcuts. Well, that's, that's the whole point. I mean, it's, it's the easy thing to do. Yeah. And so this is, this is the question every parent has to ask. And this is why when Mandy com- confronts me and challenges me on like engaging the kids or having these hard conversations, cause she's always the one who does it. Um, it's always the question. That's what, that's what goes through your mind. Do I want to do the practical thing and just hope it resolves itself? Or do I want to do the holy thing and engage this, even though it makes me totally uncomfortable having this conversation? Um, do I want to do the practical thing and not have a conversation about finances because we've been fighting about it for 18 years <laughs> and we never, we always get, we get super stressed out. And the practical thing is just avoid it and just both of us just spend money and then hopefully there's money in the account later on. Or do we want to do the holy thing and actually have a conversation about it and dialogue yeah, uh, and grow in that? I'm convinced this is why I'm exhausted. This is, this is why I'm like so tired as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we have debates about this in our marriage all the time mm-hmm. because I feel like more often than not, Marty wants to take the practical solution 
and it's because how he was raised, you right. know, he, he was raised just to kind of not control everything in the environment, kind of just let it play out, let them come and realize this on their yeah. own. Yeah. Um, but that's taking a huge leap of faith because they need a foundation and they need some, uh, you know, spiritual nourishment in order to come to that conclusion. Right. And, and I'm maybe more on the other extreme. So we're right. both on two extremes. Yeah, Manny, Manny, you are very similar. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to control the situation. Like right. that's not going right. You know, I want this outcome. Th this child made this decision right. with their, you know, you know, relationship with their significant other and, you know, and, and I disagree with this. And so Marty would say like, just let it go. You're not going to solve anything and they're just going to do it anyway. And I'm like, but no, I'm going to tell them how it is. And this is right. not what we're supposed to do. And so I think it, it kind of like, um, you know, these situations also make couples, uh, husbands and wives just kind of tense. Yeah. Well, different parenting and like hit, styles. Hit heads a lot yeah. in, but, in the relationship. But the reality is, is, um, you know, you and Mandy are very similar in that way. And I think that's why I respect Mandy so much because I'm like, because when I, ha when I look at myself in the mirror, it's like, it's a cop out. And I know that like, I'll oh, just let it play out. Yeah, I've tried that and it doesn't work, you know? And so, well, you don't want to be too controlling. Well, we just read Grande's book and, and you look at other books. That's kind of what we have to do. Now, we can't control every thought, every decision, right. everything. But we have to be watchers. Um, you know, what's in the book? Of, I want to say a book of his Chronicles, you know, it talks about the watchman. Hmm. Um, and, and also, and Zico talks about the prophet. Like if you... As a prophet, if you speak the truth, then don't worry about the consequences. But if you don't say anything, then you bear the curse that happens upon those people who, who have not received the word. So if you speak up and speak the truth, if they accept you, great. If they don't, well, you did it. And then whatever punishment happens to them, happens to them. And you're not liable for that punishment. If you say nothing, then you receive the punishment of those people. So you're just as liable. And as parents, if we don't say anything or speak up, no matter how tired we are, even if it's at 10 o'clock at night, mm. we are liable or for midnight or, or midnight or three o'clock. We in the are, morning. we are, we are liable for our children's <laughs> sins right? and we are held accountable for that. And we will be judged before God. Yeah. Now, if we speak up and speak the truth and they make these decisions, then that's between them and God. So I think that's, that's the hard part. Like I want to play it out, but I know that's not the right decision. So I, I thank God every day for Amanda who is able to push me in that direction. Um, so I think what we're trying to say is parents put away your white flags. You cannot yeah. surrender no. <laughs> on any of these things and you are going to be tired and you're going to yeah. be exhausted because you've had that conversation like 30 times before and it's just, they still keep doing it or it still keeps happening or you keep finding yourself in the same situation or you're still in the cry room in the back of the church, you know? And it's like, mm -hmm you know, be strong, have some fortitude, yeah. you know, move forward on that and, and take this time and lend, you know, to be able to spend time with God's word. Yeah. And to understand a little bit more. Yeah. So, so if there was, um, let me ask you this question, uh, okay. just with your theology degree, if you can recommend one book in the Bible right now, during the period of Lent that someone should read, and, and this is obviously subjective, but, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, what would you suggest to a parent? Like what book, if they only had, they said, I can, I've never read the Bible before. I'm going to read just one book um, during Lent. The book of Job. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Now I know you're funny. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously? Uh, Are you being serious? I don't know. I mean, it's hard because the book of Job obviously is is very dark. And, um, but there are times you you can relate. You think, yeah, no one understands me. No one gets me. It's short. It's not. Job is short. I don't, well, I don't consider it short. It's pretty repetitive because it's this dialogue and conversation. Um, but I just, you know, I feel bad for Job because he's like, he can't do anything right. And I feel like that's how parents we feel at times. Yeah. Uh, no, practically speaking, I would say either the gospel of John or the gospel of Mark, cause it's kind of short. Um, yeah, I, I do agree with like the gospel. I would always say the gospels. I do agree with speaking. the parallel that you're making with Job. And right. to be honest with you, it's one of my favorite books. Right, but a lot of people say that in, in the Bible. And I think it's because it, just relates to a lot of the things that I have felt, right? whether it's as a, as a wife or as a parent or as a daughter or, right. you know, just a person right. in society yeah. and, and all these things, these, these, um, unfortunate circumstances that happen or what might seem like bad luck or like, you know, Murphy's law being like your middle name. I mean, like, mm-hmm. We can just feel like, why us? Why does this happen to us? And right. like, does God care about me? I, I think a lot of those answers and that understanding can be gained from that one book. Well, I, that actually, the reason why I like the book is because you don't have the answers. Exactly. No, 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 no. That's that's the point. So Job, if you look in the beginning of the book of Job, he was uh, from the I would say country of Ur. You are Ur, I guess is how you say it. It was a non-Jewish country. So what happens is, which means Job wasn't Jewish. So he was, from what we know, he was a pagan. So how did he get into the Bible? Well, I don't know, honestly. But what we see here is that the reason why Job is suffering so much is because he doesn't know why he is suffering. And that often, and again, Fulton Sheen talks about this too. Sometimes that is the greater pain of when someone's suffering is not knowing the why. Because he didn't have divine revelation. He didn't know about original sin. He didn't know about uh, the Garden of Eden and so on and so forth. So in his mind, he was just. Whereas with the Jewish people, they're like, no, we deserve it because of original sin, because of the breaking of the Ten Commandments, Egypt, all that stuff. Um, Worshipping false gods all the time. Yeah, we understand when God's punishing us. It's pretty clear. But he had no idea why. So he would, that's why he was so angry and frustrated because he's like, I'm doing everything right. I'm giving my sacrifices. I do the right thing. I, you know, and God, you give me something back. I get blessed, blah, blah, blah. It's this kind of mentality that a lot of people have of if I serve God, then everything's going to work out. And we see, no, that's not how it works. At the very end, you know, God kind of rebukes Job. So that's the thing too. You think in the book of Job, you think to yourself, okay, well, God's going to be like, yeah, you know, I'm so sorry. I just was testing you. Sorry, Job. (laughs) Just playing a game, you know? No, God comes in and just rebukes him. And it's like, really? I'm going through all this suffering. And on top of this, now my relationship with you isn't great because I'm complaining and whining. And what does he do? He humbles himself. You know, he acknowledges where he is. He has humility now and just accepts things the way they are. And God blesses him again. You know, everything comes back twofold, so to speak. But one of the things I noticed, it never says about the relationship changing between him and God. It's like he just goes back to his old way of life. 
at least that's my observation. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I haven't, I I've never um, seen that part. Yeah. Of the book. Yeah. Um, so that's why I always find interesting. It's like he never learns his lesson. I think when I've read Job, though, I have kind of seen my own story. Yeah, and a lot of woven us in there. Oh, I, I do too all the time. When I'm lament, so, when he's lamenting, I'm like, yeah. When when I say I thought it, those thoughts too. It brings understanding. Yeah. It brings understanding for me to be able to um, think about where I've been, mm-hmm. why I've had that journey, and right. and 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 how and how I got to the place that mm-hmm. I am today. Right. Does that make sense? So. For me, it's almost like, well, gosh, you know, if I'm going to get write my memoir, I'm just going to go ahead and just use the book of Job and just kind of package it up. And yeah. Put it no, just I kidding. Think, I know. Not completely. A, yeah. I'm like, he had a little bit worse than Not you Not completely. I. No. Uh, no. And there are a lot, of, a lot of people out there, like the people in Texas and everywhere else who have a lot worse than we do. So. Um, I no, think, but, you know, in the in the symbolic sense mm-hmm. of, of, of suffering. In a sense of like the, the prayers and the things he says are the thoughts that we've all had at some point. Whether it was the reality of what's going on around us or not, we've all had those thoughts. You know, or the idea that you've had something very close to you and it's been taken away. You know, and, and how do you lament that? That, you know, and, and was that something that you needed to, that was important well, to I your think it's, story? It, I think it's the ultimate question, why do good people suffer? Which is the, one yes. of the mysteries of our faith. Yes. And that's, and that's the whole point. And why, it's always the question that most people have, why is it the good suffer and those who are evil prosper? So it's And okay. then somehow we're supposed to be motivated to do good. Like from the worldly standpoint, it's not a great motivation. If I was God, which I'm not, thank heavens, because... I'm like, that's not, that doesn't suck a very good plan. So basically I'm going to make creatures who are attracted to do evil, who want to avoid good. And somehow they're going to have to want to do good to get to heaven. Right. That's going to be tough. <laughs> of, course, <laughs> of course, Jesus kind of does all that and he dies on the cross. I mean, that's, that's the epitome, you know, right. Jesus who is ultimate good, who is divine suffers the greatest evil. So, I mean, so anytime we do complain just look at Jesus and you're like, yeah, no, sorry. He's perfectly good with no sin. And yet he, no one suffered more evil than he has because the greater the love, the greater the suffering. And since he has loved more than no one else, because he's God, he suffered more than anyone else. Yes, physically through his body, but also in his most sacred heart, he suffered more than anyone. I mean, think about it. When your kids commit sin, who suffers more sometimes? You or them. Sometimes it's you because you mm. love them so much. Oh, absolutely. So right. that's part of the problem is that. So Jesus, no one suffered more than Jesus. So you know, he is the ultimate Job, so to speak, where he can claim that. But the thing, again, you see at the very end, what happens? There's hope and there's the resurrection at the very end. You know, death does not have its final sight. Even again with Job, everything's gone. But what happens? He's restored again to, or things are restored to him again, like tenfold or whatever it is. So I think that's the hard part. So why do we hold out? Because we're hoping that if we die to ourselves, we do not take the shortcuts, then we celebrate the resurrection. So as parents, as we do what is the holy thing, not necessarily what is the practical thing, but if we do the holy thing, hopefully our children will, you know, grow up to be good, good Catholics. But as we know, that's not always the case. And that's when we as parents suffer the most, I think. Uh, I, someone was telling me last night, you're only as happy as your saddest child. Mm. Yeah, like they told me that I'm like that's true like my happiness is based on which child is struggling the most and Mm. their happiness because Mm -hmm. their struggles are my struggles right 
Yeah. Well, gosh, what a great finale to our first season. You know, uh, everything that we've just talked about and how that relates to the whole purpose and intention for this podcast and how as parents, we just feel stuck sometimes in, in our own cry room and the suffering that we've been um, entailing and having the desire to just want to quit and to wave the white flag and to surrender and take a shortcut and how God reminds us that it is important not to do that and that he loves us and um, and and suffering is is almost the, the, I can almost say the vehicle just to even be more intimate in relationship with him. So uh, so we will be praying for you during this Lent season. And as we said, as we're saying uh, farewell to the first season of our podcast, Stuck in the Cry Room, we will be coming back in about two weeks with season two um, every other week. Yep. And so thank you all so much. God bless you and have a great day.